Hi folks, this is Jack Spirito with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is episode 1214 of the Survival Podcast, and we're calling it Life After Awakening. Uh, this will be an interesting one for a lot of you guys, and I think the main reason I'm doing it is to help a lot of you who have a hard time dealing with all the people around you that in your emails, the n number one way you put it is, these people just don't get it. Some people say we're preparing for the zombie apocalypse. What I'm going to tell you today is the zombie apocalypse has occurred. It's an ongoing thing. It's all around you right now. More on that when I get to the main subject of today's show. Let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Item one is always let's take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, ready-made resources. Not much more you can ask for from a company than for them to say what they do and do what they say and for their name of the company to be just that. That's what ready-made does. All the resources for your prepping, ready-made, ready to go. Point, click, and buy on their website. From tactical to practical to guns and gardening and everything in between those uh, four corners, they've got it all at readymaderesources.com. Check them out today. If you can think of it and it's for prepping, I'll bet you they've got it. Great service and great pricing to go along with it. And a very long-term sponsor that's been with us now for over four years. Next up today, Bulk. Ammo.com. What are you going to get at bulk ammo? Ammo. And you're going to get it in bulk. That means you're going to get more than one. You're going to get a whole bunch of ammo at one time. Why would you do that? Well, first of all, because occasionally we have these hysterical situations where the gun grabbers get all greedy and want to grab some more stuff and uh, take it away. And then people freak out and buy in large quantities really, really fast. And we have these things called gun shortages and ammo shortages and the price goes up. So while the price isn't highly elevated, would be the time to buy. It, prices haven't come back down to where they were before the most recent shortage, but they're a far lot more reasonable now, and availability is much better now than it was before. This might be the time to stock up if you want to do that, and you don't want the inconvenience of going to the store to find out they don't have what you need. Get on Bulk Ammo's website. They probably have it. They'll ship it right to your house, and their shipping is so fast, your neck will snap at how quick it ends up at your door. Check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Ready-made resources, BulkAmmo.com, and many of our sponsors do provide special discounts for members of our support brigade. So if you're a member, always check the benefits section first. If you don't see a sponsor in the benefits section, that means they don't do a discount. Not all of them do. Not all of them can based on the margins they operate under, etc., or their business model. But most of them do, along with many other vendors, and that's a great time to tell you about the member support brigade. If you join the member support brigade, you get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, including discounts to over 40 vendors, some videos that are available nowhere else. I'm going to tell you, I've just started a new video series just for the MSB. Many of you have seen it on the blog. Many of you don't know about it. If you go to uh, thesurvivalpodcast.com, you, uh, you can find the post I did. I'll put a link in today's show notes for those that don't go to the blog often. There's a video that I've put out for MSB members. It's on Vimeo. It's password protected. It's me sitting in my... Uh, over by my aquaculture area, talking about the, the new series and, and the week in review. I'm going to be doing another one this week. This is a members-only benefit, something I've added to the MSB with the help of my intern, Josiah Wallingford. So uh, check that out if you have it. Just another reason to join the Member Support Brigade. Exclusive content that's available nowhere else. In this case, these videos are kind of a look behind the scenes, my personal life, and the operations of the business itself. Uh, 
on that note, if you want to join the Members Brigade, go to the site, click on Members or the Members Support Brigade banner. And if you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, or a first responder like an EMT paramedic or firefighter, all of you guys qualify for what is called a service discount. Just email me with service discount in the subject line, and in two sentences or less, tell me who you are and what you're doing, or if you're prior service, who you are and what you did. I'll respond back with the discount code. Please do that before you join, not after. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Since it's 1214, we're going to take a quick look at the year 1214 for our history segment. Kind of a boring year, um, unless you lived in China, in Beijing. Uh, the emperor of Jin, Jin China surrenders to the Mongols under Genghis Khan, who have besieged Beijing for a year. He pays a huge ransom and then abandons northern China, heading for Kefang. So he pays a bunch of money to save his life and hauls ass. And uh, Genghis now pretty much controls all of China, and the hordes are looking east. But it will be the son of Genghis, who does the most to move the empire to the east. Over in Europe, of course, no one's paying attention to this. Um, King John of England lands an invasion force at La Rochelle in France, and then Philip II of France ends up defeating an army of imperial German, English, and Flemish soldiers led by Otto IV, Holy Roman Emperor, in the Kingdom of France, ending the Anglo-French War which ran from 1202 to 1214. Remember what happens to Otto. We'll remind you of that going forward. I want to talk about one death. You probably don't know the name, but it'll sound familiar. Remember, not too long ago, Richard the Lionheart died, and his brother John, who's now king, took over. It was common to invoke the name of powerful things, and lions were popular back then. And on December 4th of 1214... King of the Scots, William the Lion, not the Lionheart, William the Lion, King of the Scots, reigning since 1165, is succeeded by his son, Alexander II, uh, crowned at Scone on December 6th, who will reign until 1249. So we have the death of King of Scotland. Why do I even bring that up, especially since most of you have never heard of him, and I'm not going to tell you a lot about his life. Just because of an interesting thing that correlates with today's shows, I'm going to talk about some lies, misdirections, and things that you're told that are not true today. And uh, one I'm not really going to talk about, but it's very common, is everybody, you know, hundreds of years ago died really, really young. So I figured since he died, they'd list his death in the death section on Wikipedia, and they do. William the Lion, King of the Scots, was born 1143... Died 1214, checking the math, that's 71 years of age, not far off, off the average age of males in America today. Maybe the story that everybody died at 12 or 30 or whatever just isn't true. He was a king, he had the best of everything. He had a warm, dry place to stay, and he had food. There was no great medical care of the time. There was no life-saving medical treatments. There was no ICU. In fact, that might be why people did live to relatively old age in good health. There was nothing a doctor did back then that's anything close to the marvels of modern medicine. Being wealthy simply meant that you had a clean, dry, warm place to be and that you were well-fed. 
And if that's what it takes to reach an older age, then maybe all of the promises that they have told you about how much better things are really all amount to the fact that most of us have food in a warm, dry place to be. Just saying. Anyway, think about that as we go through today's show. I've busted that myth in the past with uh, using the ages of death of the primary founders of our nation, by the way. Um, and it came out that their, their, uh, their average age of death was exactly... Uh, 0.8 years uh, younger than the uh, the average age of white American males today uh, when they pass away. So just saying. But today I want to talk about life after awakening. And I've used a picture in the show notes today of a movie that I you know I kind of have a love hate relationship with. It's not really a good movie, but it's a good movie, The Matrix, right? And for those that haven't seen the movie. or haven't watched it in a long time. The basic premise is that human beings are nothing but batteries. And the, the, this is a future world where machines have completely taken over the world. The machines were running on solar power. And one way or another, a global nuclear war breaks out between the machines and humans. And the skies are darkened. So the machines can no longer receive solar power. But the machines are still able to function long enough that they begin to take human beings, put them into a big giant thing, plug cords into them and keep them asleep while they suck energy from their body and use them as a giant battery bank. Scary part is, this physically could be done. This would work. Into this comes the fact that these human beings have minds and to keep the body growing and alive and functional as a battery, the mind has to be active. So the machines create the matrix. And the matrix is tapped into your brain so that you believe that you're a born baby and that you grow up and you have a mommy and a daddy and everything else and there's a life and there's a city and there's jobs and there's people that succeed and people that fail, etc., etc., agnosium. And this is all an illusion that's like a hologram, but it feels real to you. In fact, it's so real that if somebody walks up to you in this hologram and that person means to do you harm and kills you, your physical body, the battery, actually dies. Later we learned that the machines actually created the original Matrix to be a paradise where no one suffered, no one had any pain, everybody had enough food, everybody was happy. But humans wouldn't accept it. It wasn't real to us. We had to have struggle and strife. So they created a version of the matrix very similar to the society we all live in today. But along the way, people in this matrix are reached out to by people who were never put into it or have been freed from it. And when they ask for help, those people on the other side are able to enter the matrix and if the person's ready, offer them a choice to get out. person doesn't know what they're getting out of. They just know that something's not right. And then they're offered a choice. And this is exactly a quote from the movie by a character named Morpheus to the hero Nero. When Nero is still in the Matrix and has no idea what the Matrix is, Morpheus says to him, this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Nero decides to take the red pill, begins to feel sick, sees his body begin to fall apart in front of him and do all kinds of freaky looking things, and then wakes up in what amounts to a tub of goo 
with a bunch of wires plugged into himself and his back of his head, yanks them out, shoots out of a tube that kind of looks like a water slide, and he's picked up by Morpheus and his other folks outside of the Matrix and is then put into a series of rehabilitation and training so they can go fight the computers. This is where our metaphor and the necessity for the metaphor ends, mostly, and we're not really going to talk about the movie anymore. But the issue in the movie and the issue in life when you wake up to reality is once you take that red pill, you can't go back, just like in the metaphor that we're using for the movie. Once you know that the two-party system is a lie, once you know that the nation is bankrupt, once you know that class warfare is a false idol, once you know all of these things, you can ne you know you were blissful in your ignorance before this, just like the people in the Matrix. But once you know it, you can never put the genie back in the bottle. You, you've now looked out and realized that the American suburbs with our lawns and our little square green lawns that we put so much money, time, and effort into is a complete waste that we could be feeding people with it. You can never not know that again. right? Once you realize that the two people that say they're vastly different running for political office are going to do the same shit with a different marketing campaign and a few nuances here and there, you can't forget that and go back to voting for the shinier of two turds. You just know it's not going to matter. Once you know that the average person is a moron, then you realize that there's not a lot of hope in certain areas to change things. So you end up miserable and you run around trying to tell other people how miserable you are and you ask them why they don't want to be miserable like you and then you're confused. It's because you haven't found happiness yet. People will want to be like you when you're happy, not when you're miserable. And when you first wake up, it's pretty miserable. You're Nero. You have all this goop and slime and snot in your eyes and your nose and your mouth. You can barely breathe. Your muscles have atrophied because you've never used them. Your mind, while now open to reality, is still clouded by illusion. And only until you become rehabilitated physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually can you really reach the other people who are around you, and you, you can't reach them all. You realize we live in a world where the masses are the tools of the elite. Just like the average human being in the Matrix was a battery, the average person in society today is seen by the people that run the nations, that run the giant corporatocracy, that run the plutocracy. Plutocracy is ruled by the wealthy, for those who don't know the term. The neo-fascist states that have been formed all around us, all of the people are considered tools. You are nothing but a piece on a chessboard to be moved around at the whims of your masters. You're a sentient piece. You know that you can do certain things and not do certain things, and they'll use your behavior to determine what, what hex to put you on on the board. But as long as you buy into their bullshit, that's what you are. You wake up to that, and you realize that they have controls on the people. They're specific controls. Taxes, debt, consumerism, marketing, leveraged jealousy, class warfare, and false dichotomy. You actually might want to write those down or go to the show notes and, and copy and paste them out. I'm going to say it again. The controls of society today are taxes, debt, consumerism, marketing, leveraged jealousy, class warfare, and false dichotomy. And once you see this, it's over. You can't ever go back. Just like Nero, you take the red pill, you've made a permanent choice. 
And then you have something interesting to contend with. The people around you are popping blue pills daily. Now, if I say blue pill to you today, you probably think of Viagra due to one of the tools of control, marketing. All right, Not all marketing's bad, but the type of marketing we're talking about is marketing the lies. And Viagra has been very well marketed by giant pharmaceutical companies who, by the way, initially started making Viagra to try to save the feet and, and, and limbs, etc., of diabetics by improving circulation. And while it didn't work for that, it had that other effect. And they decided, hey, we'll just do that with it. So that's the story. But the reality is when the story of The Matrix was written, which was quite a bit before the movie came out, you know, stories get written and then they get through screenplays and they... Um, most people really didn't know what a Viagra was. It wasn't really popular, known, or even, I don't think, actually on the market yet. The most famous blue pill, when that story was written, would have been a Valium. Think about what a Valium is. It's a tranquilizer. It dumbs you down. And that's what happens when you wake up. You are finally clear and at least clearing up and starting to wake up, and you're like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy. And he's like, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, okay, I got my volume in. Now what, dude? And you're like, look, they're doing this. And he's like, ah, oh, no, man, they're not doing that. <laughs> Just relax. Or what's wrong with you, dude? Why can't you be happy? See? Doesn't that sound awfully, eerily similar? I, I actually believe, though I can't prove it, that the blue color was chosen... Because the blue pill represented tranquilization. Anyway, that brings me to an interesting question. What is a zombie? Because I said to you at the beginning of the show, the zombie apocalypse isn't coming. It's here and it's been here for a long time. A zombie, okay, understand metaphors too. This is not literal when I get into how it's going on now. A zombie is supposedly a human who has died, okay, and then lives on. And they live on in darkness, they create more zombies, and they feed on the living. And let's take it this way. A zombie is asleep, yet alive, lives in a world of darkness where they do not understand what's going on around them, and they feed on the energy of other living beings. What does that sound like? Doesn't that actually sound like the average person living in the world today, especially in the developed world. They're asleep. They do not understand how much danger there is. That's why you see millions of people suffering during a basic disaster that preparing for would be easy. That's why you see people cursing their brother at a Thanksgiving dinner, arguing over two politicians, neither of which has ever done a thing for either brother. I've seen and heard of sons cursing fathers, mothers cursing daughters, arguing over a politician that doesn't give a shit about either one of them. How more asleep could you be? They live in darkness. They can't see the truth right in front of them because it's too dark to see. They feed on the energy of others. The tools are leveraged against society. The lies are told that I'll get to in a bit. Jealousy, marketing, class warfare. So that each sees the other as the enemy, while those in control who are actually awake laugh as their slaves feed upon each other. 
We tell them competition is good, but we don't tell them what honest competition is. So they cheat, they lie, and they steal. And worse, they believe anybody who's successful must be doing the same. When most successful people, especially at kind of the mid-tier and small levels, are very honest or they wouldn't be successful. Basically, if again, this is a metaphor, but the elite are vampires. Sucking the lifeblood energy from all beings. And the zombies are the masses, and they're asleep, and they feed off each other's energy. And you can only... Now, think about... Think about this. If you're feeding off of each other's energy, it's not sustainable. And some must suffer. The zombie apocalypse is happening right now. What is a zombie? A being that is dead inside, asleep, yet alive, and functioning, living in darkness with no understanding of the real world around them, feeding on the energy and life force of fellow beings while they themselves are fed upon. You'll never look at the world the same after that. I don't, I don't think you can. And you almost say to yourself, well, if they're all happy being stupid, why is it good to be awake? It's a great thing to be awake. They're not happy. That's why they're taking volumes. That's why they're self-medicating themselves. That's why the self-help section in a bookstore is an entire aisle. That's why everybody's looking for the latest, greatest diet or the latest, greatest gadget, the latest, greatest thing, the latest, greatest doohickey. Doesn't matter what it is. Everybody's consumed with getting more debt so that they can buy more stuff because they're miserable, because they have giant holes in their hearts that can only be filled by turning on the lights. But yet they fear the lights. What happens in a zombie movie when the sun comes up? Do you think none of it's actually a metaphor for modern life? Do you think it's all just the story? Do you think in some ways we don't intrinsically know these things and they don't come out in the narratives and stories and mythology that we create? When the light comes, the zombie flees. When you tell the zombie, hey, look, everything's not the way that it sees, they stick their finger in there and they go, la, 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 la. Look at my new iPhone. But see, la, 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 la. Do you see that video of the kid farting on YouTube? Lit his ass on fire, right? But see, there, there's a hurricane, and it could come up the coast, and maybe you should at least have, like, a few things put aside. So, la, 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 la. I was watching the Kardashians yesterday. Can you believe how stupid they are? That's all that it is. So what do you do once you're awake? You talk to zombies, and if you see one that's like going, uh, yeah, something's not right, you talk to them a little bit until they get to the point where like, I'm not ready yet, and you let it go, and you focus on building your life because it's the way to true happiness, self-sufficiency, and liberty. You have to understand the machine for what it is and let the machine be the machine and escape the machine. And understand that the people that you think you're trying to free from the machine will kill you right now to defend the machine. Figuratively, and in some cases, literally. And the machine itself will consume you if it fears you as a threat and gets the right opportunity to do so. So you have to exist 
with the machine alongside of you and understand the machine and be willing to take from the machine, leverage the machine, but not be the machine and contribute as little to the machine as you possibly can. And this is why you should talk to the sleeping, but don't evangelize, right? I mean, this is those of you that are like, my brother, I've been trying to get him to understand this for years, and he just won't listen because you're talking too much. You're, you're talking about it too much. You're better off to show a zombie light rather than try to tell a zombie about light. Once they've seen it, it's kind of like, oh, I didn't get away, and now it's still there, and I'm not, oh, my flesh is not burning. Oh, light's not that bad, right? So show your brother your backup power system. Don't talk about why you have it. Just show it to him. Cook your sister a meal from your stored food and talk about how easy it was. And just these little, little pieces. When somebody tells you why a politician A is better than politician B, just find a place where politician A said that politician B would do something and then politician A went ahead and did it too. And just say, I, I, I don't know how you take these guys seriously. Don't talk about how bad their politician is. Just say, I don't know how you take these guys seriously. Look, this guy said, if you, if you elected him, that he would do this. And then this guy got elected because everybody was afraid of that. Then he got elected, did exactly what he said his opponent would do. So I don't know why this matters to me anymore. I'm really thinking about taking a walk. You want to go for a walk? Get outside, breathe some fresh air? Don't be afraid of the sun, zombie. It's okay. Very, very subtle approach has to be taken. Because there's two things that happen. One, if you push too much light at a zombie too fast, they run away into the darkness and scream, blah, 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 blah. Oh, Kim Kardashian's dumb, blah, blah, blah. That makes me smart, blah, blah, blah. Babies fart on YouTube are funny, blah, blah, blah. Look at the kitty. Right? They run into the darkness of a deep chasm and they hide. And then whenever they see you, like, oh, you might put light on me again. So you, you can't push too hard because it won't work. And two, you'll be miserable. You'll spend all your energy trying to free someone instead of using the freedom you've acquired so that you can be an example to the zombie because that's what pulls them out. So your own self-interest outweighs the needs of the, of, of the people who are still asleep Because it's better for you, and in the long run, it's better for them. See, that's one of the lies. Like, you're selfish because you're thinking about yourself first. Well, who the hell's going to think about you if you don't? In the words of Richard Bach, every human being who's made a huge positive impact on the world in some ways has been an amazingly selfish human being. They focused on themselves and what they could do beyond what other people could do or who they were even doing it for. They just did their thing. And when somebody said, that's not responsible, they said, I don't give a shit. You worry about yourself. I'm going to do what I do. And that's sort of how you have to live. That doesn't mean you don't care about people. It doesn't mean you won't be charitable. It just means when it comes to your daily life, you think, how am I going to expend the next 30 minutes of energy Am I going to talk to my brother till I'm blue in the face about something I've done a hundred times he's not going to listen to? Or am I going to go plant some shit so I have food? Or am I going to go learn a new skill so I can do something and activate my mind? Am I going to you know, put into it the thought of creating a business that will sustain me? Or am I going to waste it telling somebody else how it would be great if everybody had a business? You have to be selfish in a positive way once you're awake. 
Because honest to God, most of the people around you don't want your help. They're asleep and you're radiating light and you're waking them up and they want to stay in bed. The next thing is you have to accept that some will not wake up ever. You just have to accept it. If you don't, you'll be miserable. You'll focus on like one person. This one person, I, God, if you would just, like, okay, if that person wakes up, will it really change the world? It will, but will it change it any more than if another person wakes up? You gotta think in a, almost a warrior mentality at this point. Body count. Right? When it comes to waking people up, I'm just going to do really good stuff so well that a lot of people go, wow, look at that. How do you do that? And I'm going to drop another one, drop another one. Drop. But instead of killing them, this time you're waking them up. You're unplugging them, right? And it's like one, two, three, four. Nobody's, you know, the, the warrior on the battlefield is not like, gee, I need to like slog through all these people to get to that one guy way over there. Because unless he's the commander or something, killing him is not going to win the battle. Body count will win the battle. And when it comes to awakening people, body count. And you don't have to wake somebody all the way up. There's actually a shit ton of people just like us out there right now. We now number in the millions. Not my audience. We number, uh, last week, highest downloaded day, 88,000 some odd downloads. 88,000. Just this group. There's, I guarantee you, there's millions of us. So if you wake up a zombie a little bit and they like start stirring around and you're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you're right about that. And you try to take it to another step and they go, oh no, let it go. Okay, yeah. Hey, let's go get a beer. Oh, zombie like beer, right? Okay, you know, <laughs> like the movie Idiocracy. You like money? I like money too. What are the odds? Right? Just let it be the idiocracy. It's okay. Take them out and have a beer with them. Talk to them about going to the gun range. Not after the beer, right? Tomorrow, after the beer has been dissipated. But just a little awakening. Understand that they'll probably come in contact with somebody else. In fact, they'll probably seek somebody else out. So you have to understand the zombie that's closest to you wants the least for you to be the one that awakens them. Because that means you're smarter than them in their little fake world that's been created for them. Right? It's like... He can't be right about this, and they don't want to admit to you that they were wrong. But you plant the seed, and then they'll be talking to someone who will say something similar to you that they don't have this direct emotional connection to that it's okay for them to be more open with because that person doesn't know how many times they've said no to it, and then they're a little more open, and that person wakes them up a little bit more. And then they meet another person, and that person makes them up a little bit more. Then they come have a conversation with you, and they act like you didn't know this shit. And they're like, did you know this? Did you know that? And this is what we have a tendency to say. I told you that five years ago. Don't do that. You'll put the zombie back to bed. He'll pop a volume. Say, really? Where'd you hear that? Wow. What else do you know about that? Huh. Well, I heard something about that, too. It's a little bit further than that. Do you want to know what it is? Alright, you're practicing at that point, something we're going to talk about more toward the end of the show, pull versus push marketing. If I say that to you in a conversation, you're like, why haven't you told me already? Huh? Why, why are you doing this to me? Why, why are you dangling the carrot? So that you'll ask for the carrot, because then when I give you it, you'll eat it. Right? Stop eating the flesh of the living zombie. Eat a carrot. It's better for you. 
You know, at least let's move you over to steak. You need the flesh of the dead cow versus the energy of the being next to you. Right? That's, that's where we're moving people towards. And it has to be done incrementally. And I want you to think about this. If you are a completely wide awake minarchist or anarchist or libertarian today, if you figured all of this stuff out, if everything I'm saying to you, instead of going, wow, that's, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. You're going, preach on, brother, preach on. That's what I've been saying. If you're that guy, you did not become that guy in a 24 hour period. You probably did not become that guy in a 24 day period. You might have taken 24 years to become that guy slowly over time. It is unreasonable for you expect a completely slumbering zombie to get anywhere close to where you are in a 24 hour period. So stop trying to take them there. If you were like a person that never jogged or never, let's go hiking because I don't jog. I think jogging damages your joints. You're a person that never hiked. Never hiked in your life, especially under a pack load. And I decided, you know, we're going to take a short little three-mile hike today. We're going to carry, you know, a 30, 40-pound pack. No big deal. Some hills and stuff. Not a big mountain or anything. Good, steady pace. And I take you with me. You're going to be like, I hate hiking. And for me, it's like, dude, this I've already scaled it back for you. Right? But you're like, no, this sucks. Well, the first hike I should take with somebody like that. It's never hiked. It's like a flat path walking around a pond for three quarters of a mile to a mile to where they're like, that's it, we should do some more. Yeah, not today. Let's do it next week. And then we'll go like a mile and a half with a couple hills. So you keep wanting more, right? If I try to run you into the ground, same with working out. Person's never lifted weights. You put them on a bench, and you do reduce the weight load and all, but you, you know, five sets of ten of these, five sets of ten of those, working the muscle failure. They've never lifted, or they haven't lifted in years. They wake up the next day sore as shit. I don't want to do that again. That sucks. That's what some of you are doing with information. You're working the person to a metaphorical muscle failure. You have to give them just a little bit, a little bit, and as soon as they go, I don't want this anymore, shut up. Stop. Stop. They'll come further faster that way than you did. Because probably whoever was talking to you that finally got through your thick skull didn't know to do that. Turn them on to shows, podcasts like mine. Or if you think there's one that's better suited for them, turn them on to that. Especially someone's a little less on the edge than me. Send them there first. Send them there first. Whatever works. Just get people to start thinking. That's how you start to wake them up. Um, let me tell you the truth about the machine as well. The machine is real, first of all. You have to understand that. The machine is not a metaphor. The machine is real. The machine is modern society. The machine is class structures. The machine is a, a financial system set up for the purpose of control. This, this, this machine is a debt-based financial system. The machine is real. I can't get into the mechanics of the machine today. Many of you know these. If you listen to enough past episodes, you'll understand that the machine, how it works. All you have to understand today is that the machine works. And it's very effective. It's a very, I don't want to say a good machine. It's a very well-designed machine. It's well-designed for the purpose of creating zombies out of the masses. And it will 
not be something that in our lifetime we will be able to throw a monkey wrench into and the whole thing will blow up and all the minds will be freed. It's not going to happen. Minds will be freed from the machine one or two or three at a time. And they will not be freed in a 24-hour period with the red pill. The red pill will take years for some to work. And for some, even the red pill won't work. They're immune to it. They're so zombieized, it can't function for them. Because the reason you need to understand that is then you know that you don't need to be trying to change the machine. That you need to change yourself and change yourself and get others to change themselves. And the only way the machine will change is when there's enough people out of it that have focused on themselves rather than the machine itself. If you don't understand that, you're going to sit on a treadmill. I'm running away from the machine. And the faster you run, the machine just turns on the treadmill. Right? Because you're trying to change the machine. You walk away from the machine. Look at the machine from a distance and go, the machine sucks. But over here, in my world, I control my fate and my destiny. That machine has tentacles. Every once in a while, it'll reach out. What were those things called? Oh, they called them sentinels. That sucks. Things that came out and tried to kill the people that were outside the machine, they'll send one of their sentinels out. We need our own counter sentinels to fight them off. But just keep working, you know? I mean, literally be digging digging your garden and shooting the sentinel out of the air with your freaking right hand, right? You know? Ah, uh, they're attacking Joe. Let's go knock them off of Joe and get back to our, you know, our, 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 our lives. That's how we have to approach this. Now let me talk about the biggest lies that, you, that are used to control society today. The first lie, taxes are necessary. Taxes are necessary. Now some would point out, Jack, you say in practice you're a minarchist. That means there's some level of estate. There's some level of, hey, you murdered somebody, that's not okay. And there's some official capacity designed to take that person and make them go away, rather than a lynch mob. And we have to have some form of government for that to occur. I would love to live in a world where we can have that settled by a community that's voluntarily associating with each other. And I think there would be a lot less of those murders if that's the way things were run. But as a realist, I understand that the society, the machine, has not been disassembled anywhere close to that point yet. So we have to have some level of state. So if you have to have that, you have to have some level of tax. Correct for that portion of things. When I say that the lie is that taxes are necessary, it's, it's the fact that, okay, we have a society today where if we just everybody stopped paying taxes, there's like millions of people that would die, literally die. Okay. So taxes are necessary because the machine made it that way. When I say taxes are not necessary, I'm saying that I know that a world could exist without taxation. I just know it's possible. I won't get into how. It's a whole show and a half of itself. But I just know that it's, it's fundamentally possible. And the reason I know that is there has been a world without it. You know, government rose alongside of agriculture. It's why they're so entwined yet today. If we go back to hunter-gatherer societies, there were no taxes. There were no taxes. People voluntarily associated. Small communities existed here and there. And even some large communities existed with no real concept of taxation. Shared resources, but by choice. So I know it's possible. 
And that's like kind of step one. It's just to understand the concept that we have to have tax or we have to have a state is a lie. Basically, they're saying we have to have a machine and somebody has to pay for it. And we don't have to have a machine and no one has to pay for it. But we have a machine and it is being paid for. So it has to be disassembled over time. It can't have the plug pulled tomorrow. Those are very different. Very, very different from we have to have taxes. There has to be some sort of tax. Really? No, there doesn't. We can have communities everywhere. Yeah, there has to be a contribution, but when you walk in, the rules are set, you know what the rules are, you are free to participate based on the contribution that the other members of that community expect from a fellow member of their community, and if you decide you don't like it anymore, you can leave. It's called voluntarism. No problem. It can exist. Don't worry about how today. Just accept the fact that it's a lie, and it can be done. It's possible. It starts to change everything about the solutions you'll create. You'll start to look, well, how could I, instead of going, well, I can't be done. It's too big a thing. Government must do that. How can I do that for just me and my family and my neighbors? Or how can I get other people to come along with me for that journey that will voluntarily give of their time and resources and finances to get this done? Until you say, it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be taxes. The mind doesn't work that way. You're still in the machine. So it's one of the six major lies used for control. The next one, debt is good. In fact, it's a status symbol. There are corporations worth billions of dollars who exist solely to place a number on you on how worthy you are to be given more debt. Do you really, do you really get that? You know the commercials where you see the guy walking around, he's got like, you know, 596 over his head and he's frowny faced and there's a guy next to him walking his dog and he's like a 781, right? And he's great. What do you think it costs him to run that commercial on national television? The purpose of that is to assign a number to you that assigns a value to you based on your ability not to repay but to service debt. Do you understand that? Your credit score doesn't say, if you give Joe $100,000, he's going to pay it back. No. What your credit score says is, if you give Joe hundred grand, he's capable of servicing that, desk, that debt indefinitely. Not that you'll ever actually repay the loan in full. You could die first. Right? It could be a 30-year mortgage and you're 62. You might live to be 82, but you sure as hell might not. Plenty of people don't. What the bank is concerned with is, will you service the debt? In other words, make your payments. The longer you service the debt, the better it is for them. The bank doesn't want Joe to pay his debt off. You should have heard my credit card company. I had a credit card company for years because I traveled with work. It was kind of necessary the way that things were done back then, and I wasn't totally awake, and I had debt on top of the, the revolving credit that uh, that I had so I could travel for work. And I'd fill out expense report, I'd get reimbursed, and then I would pay the bill. And then, you know, I got out of that life, and we got serious about debt control, and we started paying it down, and we got to the point where we were like, you know what, this little bit on this car, let's just pay this off. And I remember, more of what I remember is the truck. We owed like $3,800 on the truck. And I called to make sure that the payment went through or something, and the lady was like, why did you do this? 
Like, in her mind, she's a zombie. What, what possible reason would you do this for? Because debt is seen as a status symbol. So now you're laden with taxes, with no creativity about how to reduce them, because you believe they're necessary. And in the words of the Vice President of the United States, what's marketed to you is, it's patriotic to pay your taxes. Do you remember that? Jackass. Right? And then debt is good. So now you have a ball and chain on your left foot, that's the tax bill, and the taxes are not just income tax. Social security tax, electrical services tax, gas tax, road tax, every kind of tax in the world. It's like over a hundred taxes that the average person pays every year that they don't even know exist. So you got that. And then, you know, uh, we put the tax burden on you. Uh, here's another ball and chain. It says debt. Would you like to put this on? Oh, why, yes, please. So now you've got a ball and chain on each foot. Debt is good and taxes are necessary. Then the next thing he tell you is, you know what? <laughs> You know what? Having more things will make you happy. If you just had the latest iPhone, you'd be happier. Look at this. It's shiny. Buy it. And you go, but I don't have any money. Ah, but you have the magical number that's been assigned to you, and now you have credit. Get this brand new big screen TV that'll be totally worthless by the time you start making payments on it for no interest and no payments for 24 months. And see the big game on Sunday. Doesn't that sound like a... How ridiculous is it? How ridiculous is it that you would go out and buy a $2,000 television for the game coming this Sunday? For that specific motivation. Yet that is said because it works. Understand, when you hear something in a commercial or a marketing campaign, and you hear it more than once or twice, it doesn't just go away. It keeps coming back. It's coming back because the people doing the work are very sophisticated about what they're doing, and they know that it works. That means someone out there, a lot of someones, when it's a big brand, are dumb enough to believe it. Yeah, I want to, that game Sunday, my friends are coming over, and I want them to see my TV. That is marketing at the corporate top-end level. To leverage the belief that it is going to make you happy to have stuff or to have something in your life you don't currently have now. Marketing itself, I actually, I'm a marketer, and I see marketing as a, just a communication skill. To be able to explain to people why something is beneficial to them. There's nothing wrong with that. But corporate marketing isn't about that. Top-end corporate marketing that I was involved with for a while, and actually never was involved with, I was trying to teach corporate entities, people like Donald Trump's people, were actually clients of mine, trying to teach them that this honest assessment of who really benefits from what you're doing is the way to market to people. And they wanted to know, well, uh, what about the person that would have bought but doesn't buy? That person's not suited for your product. If you don't sell them something now that's not suited for them, you won't poison the pool and you'll be able to find something that works for them later and preserve and just like blah, 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 blah. Focus group, blah, 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 blah. Uh, split testing, blah, it's like, come on, right? But that's corporate marketing. Having more shit makes you happy. And you know what? I'm not a person who doesn't like stuff. I have a lot of stuff, and I'm getting more stuff in my life. But it all serves a function. It's not for status symbol. 
You know, if I go out and buy something, I'm going to buy the best tool for the job, not the one that gives me the greatest status. You won't see me wearing a $200 pair of shoes. I want shoes that make my feet comfortable and protect them. Just saying. The next slide. What your neighbor has or does affects you. What your neighbor has or does affects you. Well, if your neighbor's smoking pot, man, it'll just ruin your neighborhood. Now, you're, you, you know, those of you that think that, you're, you probably have neighbors smoking pot right now that you don't know anything about. You know? If two women get married, it'll destroy the family unit. You know what? Society's doing a pretty good job of destroying the family. I don't think we can blame lesbians and gay guys for, for destroying the family. I, I think you, you guys need to, that are saying that still, you need to look a little higher up the food chain to see who is destroying the family unit. Welfare has done more to destroy families than two dudes getting married. A hell of a lot more. And I want, if you don't agree with me, prove it to me. Because I'll show you statistics of what welfare has done to the family. I'll tell you what. What I just told you, what your neighbor has or does affects you, has done more to destroy the family. Because of jealousy and envy. See, I told you the different tools of control. The last one was marketing. This one's called leveraged jealousy. What they want you to do is look at the people around you and go, well, why do they have that and I don't? Or why are they able to get away with that and I'm not? Or why are they be able to hate, behave that way when I think it's reprehensible and choose not to? Why don't they do what I think they should do? Why don't I have what they have? Sound like a freaking baby. And people are saying that, but they're using different words to say that. Well, I, I just think that that's wrong. Which is, I think that person should behave the way I think they should behave. I would like to control their lives. It's like, yeah, like little children. Oh, and the people running this machine just go, <laughs> I'll never figure it out. That's right, you guys fight with each other. Just make sure you go to your job and you pay your taxes. You go to job and pay your taxes. You don't have to work. You just sit there and we'll give you their taxes and tell you that they're evil and they're the reason you don't have a job even though they're the ones paying for your life. <laughs> and that leads to the next lie. The problems are all because of people who are different than you. This is the next tool of control, class warfare. Oh, the reason you can't find a job is all those illegal aliens coming into the country, taking those jobs away from you. Really, you want a job picking oranges? Go to Florida. They'll hire you. You'll do it for one day and quit. The reason you can't find a job has nothing to do with an illegal alien. It really doesn't. Like we said yesterday, yeah, there are people that come into this country, and they're not here to work. They are here to become suckers of the tit of society, to go into the... Other class where it's like, well, they're going to take instead of give. They're the minority of the people that come here. Yes, it's a problem, but it's not a problem because they're illegal. It's a problem because the system exists in such a way that a person can exist doing nothing and be cared for by the state. The person isn't the problem. The state is the problem. The state created that system and puts people into it. When not enough people sign up for food stamps, for God's sakes, the government advertises. I heard a commercial one day. 
Did you know that just because you have a job doesn't mean that you won't qualify for food stamps? Help is available, and there's no shame in asking for it. Find out today if you qualify at... Holy crap! Seriously. And then the government goes on a marketing campaign and says, Man, it's all those people on food stamps. Yeah, they're the ones destroying the country. And then the, the zombie's like, Ugh, food stamps bad. Evil. Taker. Right? <laughs> and they might be taken from other, some other side of the matrix. They don't even know. But then they tell the guy on food stamps, the, that zombie over there that has a nice house is the reason you don't have enough. Even though he just paid your bill. And then everybody fights. And again, the people running the situation laugh. They get a good, fuzzy, warm feeling because they know they've just bought themselves another day in control with no zombie rebellion. The zombies are free to kill each other all they want as long as they continue to function as a battery in the machine. I don't care if you want to move. You're a battery that's, that's, that's located in the, the right side of the machine. You want to move and plug yourself into the left side of the machine. They just don't want you to unplug. The problems are all because of people who are different than you. It's the black people. It's the white people. It's the gay people. It's the religious people. It's the non-religious people. No. It's the machine. It's the machine. The zombies are all playing their assigned roles in the orchestrated play that is the machine. They have been lied to. The person on welfare that's so easy to bash, that even has when you talk to them, the, well, I got it coming to me attitude, that is a defensive shield. That is the zombie avoiding the light. The real, that is the symptom, not the disease. The disease is that person has been convinced they can't, that they have no other option, that this is the only way that they can survive. They have been disempowered to the point where they will exist as a leech, not because they want to be a leech. Very few people really want to be leeches. They've been convinced that they are a leech, and it's the only way they can make it. Those zombies are very hard to wake up, Because they have to accept how misled they were. The wronger a zombie is, the harder he is to wake up. But the control mechanism, the lie, problems are because of people who are different than you. And here's the magic in this lie. It doesn't matter who you are. We have, this is, okay, another movie. Dickie Roberts, a guy goes back to try to learn how to be a kid. And there's a guy in it that's kind of a sleazebag. But he's telling a sales story. And it's like the only intelligent thing he says in the whole movie. He says, you know, I was at this place one time. And this Indian was selling these pots. And he had a pot on a shelf in the back. And the pot was $10. And he had the exact same pot up front. And it was for $30. And I asked him, why do you sell the same pot for $10 and for $30? And he said, because some people want to spend $10 on the pot, and some people want to spend $30 on a pot, and both of them are my customers. Hmm? Okay. You are the government's tool instead of customer, but they need to put fuel into you, marketing. And they have a way to market to you 
and they sell some people a $10 pot and some people a $30 pot, but they sell the same pot to everybody. And the way they're going, it won't even be a pot worth pissing in when they eventually destroy everything. But here's what I mean. If you're poor, then the rich are the enemy. If you're rich, then the poor are the enemy, right? If you're a native-born American, then the illegal immigrant is the enemy. For a long time in our society, if you were white, the black guy was the enemy. And if you're black, the white guy was the enemy. As that heals, you find another place to offload the anger. You always have to, if you're in control of this machine, you always have to be looking for new divisions among the classes. You tell the middle class that the poor are your problem and the wealthy are your problem. So you pit them in two different directions. And you keep everybody concerned about everything that doesn't matter while you control all the things that do matter. And there's no more effective tool in the arsenal than class warfare. It actually makes all the other lies possible. And then there's the big lie at the end. The big lie at the end that's used to gel the whole thing together. There's two distinct sides and you have chosen the right one. That's the message. I'm a Democrat. Good boy. You're, you're, you're for the poor people and the working class people in, in America and, you know, making sure that we take care of everybody. I'm a Republican. Good boy. You're for smaller government and, and business and solutions from the private sector and individual rights. Good boy. Right? I mean, the system is basically, you know, people argue and, you know, cuss each other out in forums online and call people de demoncrats and, re and repugnants and stupid name-calling crap like little children. But the message from the top of the machine is you're right no matter which side you chose. And here's the thing. Not only are you right, both sides are very different. If the other guy was in control, we'd be screwed. And then they both do the same thing. That's the false dichotomy. Those are your lies, your six lies. Taxes are necessary. Debt is good. It's a status symbol. Having more things will make you happy. What your neighbor has or does affects you. The problems are all because of people who are different than you. There are two distinct sides, and you are smart enough that you are a good boy, and you chose the right one. And if the other people get in charge, we are all screwed. So hold your ground. You matter in the dichotomy. Lies, lies, lies. Yeah, the check's in the mail, too. Right? So what do we do about this, right? Because you know me, I'm not all about bitching about things. I'm about doing things. Number one, accept the machine exists. Exist as apart from it as you can. The fact is the machine is so invasive that you're going to be affected by the machine. But you choose how often, how frequently, and how much, and you have the ability to go, that part of the machine is actually beneficial to me when leveraged this way and use it to your own end. So just accept it. Focus on your life first, your family's life, and let zombies sleep that want to sleep. Just focus on you. Be willing to be selfish for the good of yourself, your family, and dare I say it, your nation. We need more selfish people in America. Oh my God, did he say that? Yes! Selfishness can be a negative thing, or it can be a positive thing. Selfishness that's, I want that because they have it and I want to take it at their expense. That's going into the lies. That's jealousy. Leverage jealousy. Selfishness of, I control my life. I'm responsible for myself and therefore I will take it 
upon myself to do what's best for me and my family is extremely positive. It's called liberty. So be selfish in a positive way. Focus on your life first, your family's life. Let sleeping zombies sleep until they're ready to wake up. Zombies will wake up slow because you are a good person Focusing on yourself and becoming more awake and aware every day, you will have a natural desire to want to wake up zombies. You'll want to do it. It's okay. Use pull versus push marketing. Give them as much as they want. Inform them you have more. And deny them access to it unless they ask you. Or in selling, the most powerful world word you can use is no. Watch this. You want a pool in your backyard. I come into you and I say, this is our top-of-the-line pool. It's more than you want to spend, but I think it's the right pool for you. Let me explain to you how I can get it to you. You will throw me out of the house. You will throw me out of the house. If I come in and go, well, here's a pool that fits your budget. I have this kind of next step up, but um, it doesn't really fit your budget. I, I don't really want to show you something that you know you can't afford. Most people will be like, well, let me see it. And you might upsell the person. Because they might not have actually told you their budget. They might have hedged it back. They might be willing to spend more money. You're not tricking them. You're just not pushing. You're pulling. Most powerful word in sales is no. Well, what do you think about this? Well, I think that and this and that. Well, what else do you think? I don't know if you're ready to hear that yet. You might not want to hear it. Oh, tell me. Okay, well, I think this and this. Well, I don't think so. I told you I didn't think you were. I have reasons, but, you know, let's just have a beer. Right? Or get a blog. Or get a podcast. And then the people that read or hear what you have to say will go get it on demand. And they'll be willing to listen to you in a way they would never listen to their brother. Because they don't have to admit that they were wrong. You don't know them. And then they can go to their brother and tell their brother what the brother already knew. And hopefully he listens to stuff like this and he knows to go, really? Tell me more. To awaken minds, you have to let the process work. You can't just smack somebody in the face and say, wake up. They'll punch you in the face, roll over, shove their head in the pillow and go back to sleep. And if you wake them up again, they might get violent. Because that wasn't violence. That was just a little annoyance. Next, know what you do matters and act. Don't talk. Do. Well, it'd be great if I had a garden. Get a shovel. I'm not sure how to do it. Try it. You'll fail. You'll figure it out. Right? Well, I should have more food in the house. Go buy three extra cans of shit this week and put it away. Well, I should have a battery backup system, but the one I want to build is going to cost like $1,000 and I don't have the money. Go get one battery, one charger, Two inverters, and you can do all that for a hundred bucks if you're smart about it. It won't be that great. It'll be better than nothing. And you'll learn from it. Whatever it is. And you can't do all of these things. Do a little bit here, a little bit there. Act in your own self-interest. Because in a disaster, it's good that you've acted in your self-interest because now those who haven't can get the resources of help that you may or may not be part of providing, but you are not a drain. So act and know what you do matters. And prepare for disasters because with zombies everywhere, you're going to have them, right? Especially with zombies in a machine, there's going to be disasters. And even if there were no zombies and no machines, there'd still be disasters. We just weather them better 
Because whether or not we have stupid people running society, we are going to still have things like tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes and hailstorms and droughts, right? That's called climate. And it's going to happen. And nature, and it's going to happen. It's, that's why we're doing the history segments now. Earthquake kills 50,000 people. Year 1208 or whatever it was. Fire decimates London, right? So disasters are going to happen. But the thing is, prepare for disasters and enjoy life at the same time. I don't know if you've noticed, but I get occasionally upset a little bit on Mondays when I have to deal with all of the idiocy that the clowns are doing in Washington and elsewhere, and just the stupidity. And sometimes I feel like my nation is literally dying. And it is, because they're zombies, right? But on the other side, if you've noticed, I'm also a pretty optimistic, positive person. I get on and do a show like this about the fact that most of your fellow Americans are a bunch of moronic idiots, ignorant to the way society functions, asleep, and don't want to know the truth, and somehow it still sounds positive. How the hell is that possible? Because I control my life, you should control your life, and it's a beautiful world. It's an amazing world. We can plant a seed and generate life and food and regenerative life that will be used again and again. We can build systems that maintain and water themselves. We can learn the behaviors of animals and either train them to be part of our family unit like a dog or livestock or interact with them as predators in nature as hunters. We can learn about things in nature that we can literally go out, pick up, and use either for food or medicine. We can sail on oceans and lakes, float on rivers, climb mountains. That's the world. That's the real world. We can do things. We can create things. We can build value. We can exchange value among men and women. Honorable, honest value. We can unite for a cause that's just. Do it, get it done, and move on instead of spending years talking about it. Just, you know what? This one's getting done. We're big enough to do this. Boom. Done. Whether it's a money bomb or picking up a shovel. Whatever it is, we can just, that one injustice, we'll write it right now. This second, done. Can't do them all. That one's done. I'm going to go back to fishing. We can go fishing. And watch a shiny silver fish dance across still waters on the end of a line and remember it for the rest of our lives from that one thing. We can take a child and teach them how to control things through firearms training or through other activities outdoors. We can take a child and teach them about life by planting a radish seed. We can build businesses that instead of taking, give and create. My proudest thing about the Survival Podcast is how many people have said, I have a business doing this. I've created a business doing that. And sometimes they're a competitor. Excellent! Great! Good! There's so many zombies to wake up. No problem. Compete. Let's go. Or, or I figured out that I can do this and I've got this thing. And there's hundreds of people now with their own bit, some are part-time, some are full-time. Amazing. Amazing. People that have changed their lives. I'm not special. Just followed a system of honesty, honor, and integrity. That's it. That's it. 
anybody can do it. You might not do it the way I do it, with the flair I do it, sometimes with the asshole nature on which I do it. But you'll do it your way. Whatever it is, whatever works for you. But enjoy the shit out of your life while you do it. If you ever get to a point where you're just angry and miserable because you're working on something, even something that's important, stop. Not permanently. Just take a break. Take a walk. Have a conversation with somebody you love. Look at the sky. Watch a fish. Do something different for just a little bit. When you go back, you won't be angry. You get it done. You'll move on. Enjoy life along the way. You have to. That's why you're here. You're not here to be miserable. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Show you.